Hi and welcome to this week's episode of the PBN Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. On this week's podcast, we have the amazing Danae Moore. She's a singer, a songwriter, and even a vegan chef. In this episode, we discuss her life and childhood in Jamaica, her side projects, Dee's Table, her incredible and remarkable music career, and gender and life and everything in between. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Let's get right to it. Welcome. Hey. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yes. So I guess before we, I start our podcast, what I usually like to do is to ask people about their plant-based slash vegan journey and, and what brought you to the lifestyle and how you discovered it. Um, my vegan kind of introduction to veganism started really early, I guess. Like my, my friend went um, vegan when I was 17 um, and... Out of curiosity, I kind of just decided to do it with her for like, I did it for like four months. And ever since then, like slowly reduced um, my meat and dairy intake, but didn't have a real purpose to it because I didn't do any research. I kind of just did it to see if I could. And then after kind of becoming more enlightened three years ago, like reading books, like watching documentaries, just environmentally, like, and just animal cruelty wise, just morally, I just couldn't do it again so I kind of just switched completely but at that point I was literally just like I was basically vegan but um when I went out like um and maybe have some like dairy or whatever stuff like that but then after just watching like cowspiracy and like what the health um read a few books I just literally couldn't bring myself to have any of those things anymore mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the people around you, you said obviously you were inspired by a friend. What did your friends, your other friends and family think about you going vegan? I think they were quite, like, because they're from like a Jamaican background, they're quite, like, taken aback and maybe concerned, as, like, a lot of people are. They're like, oh, but where are you going to get this? Where are you going to get that? Suddenly like everyone becomes a nutritionist. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> it's crazy. I've been to so many family, like events where people are like oh but surely just have a little bit of this have a bit of fish mm-hmm. or have a bit of cheese like like eggs like uh, if you think about it would you change your mind in the future yeah. as like you know making it a big deal yeah, yeah. like as but I think by example like just I am alive yeah <laughs> it yeah. is like yeah you know you can sustain yourself on this diet and you yeah, thrive absolutely. off of it and how do you feel I feel amazing. I feel so much lighter. Yeah. I feel like so much more energy. Especially, it definitely sorted out my like sleeping habits. I feel like I sleep way better now, and I'm like wake up earlier, and yeah, I just feel all round mm-hmm. like just more vibrant, a lot better. Yeah. yeah. And then also going to bed at night, knowing that you've played a role in you know changing the world in some way because we are every yeah. time we sit down three times a day we're making a choice aren't we yeah yeah. and that conscious choice is a big deal i don't think a lot of people underestimate that just that decision because being vegan is an act of defiance in a society that says you need to behave like this you need to eat like this you need to wear these clothes and you know leather and fur and silk and all this kind of stuff so standing out as an individual in a really like quite oppressive world where people kind of demand you conform, it's I think it's it's a brave and bold move. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really amazing to see how London is changing, how cities, different cities are changing. Mm-hmm. Also, how many like important kind of figures in in the world are like talking more about veganism and like even just athletes as well which I think is like the biggest turn at the moment like footballers like Hector Bellerin from my Arsenal and like I think Louis Louis Hamilton is like vegan Mm -hmm. he's been raving about it hasn't he yeah I think it's like really amazing to see that turn like and I think when people like that take on that diet and talk about it it has such a massive impact on how the rest of the world sees it especially in professional like like um like athletes or just in sports where so much reliant on their health Mm -hmm. and just 
their physicality and it just proves that you can just thrive on this mm. diet. Absolutely. And obviously veganism is all about animals and, and you know, it's kind of, its foundation is on removing the suffering or the oppression of animals. As, as a child growing up, did you have any relationships with animals and connect with any? Yeah, I've had loads of pets. I've had loads of pets growing up and... Yeah, I've always been like connected to like nature and I've always been an animal lover. And I just remembered watching like Earthlings and just having this like reality check about how like meat was kind of being brought into my house and not thinking about that before because it's been so like locked away that process from, you know, what when you eat a burger, what goes behind it. Yeah. Um and the burger I think, had a mum. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And for me, dairy is like just crazy, mm. just absolutely bonkers. Just the concept of milk to me is. So I think seeing seeing that seeing it changed my perspective, especially just like I said, just looking at animals, like never really having that instinct to like having so many pets and looking after them, really like also. I don't know, it made me realise that what I was doing was definitely wrong, what not natural. You, did you have any favourites that you had a really strong bond with? Um, Pet-wise? Yeah. I've always been more of a cat mm -hmm. cat person. Um, but yeah, I've pretty much had all kinds of pets. I've had like dogs mm -hmm. and like, I've had like fish. Yeah. And, and when, you, when we see these animals and obviously growing up, we, you know, we have animals that we love and have companionship with, but then we also consume animals as well. And there's a disconnect there, isn't there? Why do you think it's hard for people to see that difference? Because I think there's that cognitive dissonance in people's minds where they say, I love animals, but then at the same time they sit down three times a day and essentially pay for someone else to kill an animal in an often quite brutal and violent way. So what do you think it is about our society that stops people making that connection? I think it's just it's the, the fact that no one is seeing this footage, no one understands what really happens. It's like the false advertisement of like, um, that these animals live a happy life and just the cons, like just even like free range, like eggs or whatever it is, like the, the idea that, oh, they're running in a field and someone is like, I think it's the image of it as well is really like, is, is like a false like representation of actually what happens on a mass scale. So I think people feel like it's like more of a natural thing when in reality it's definitely just very unnatural, really cruel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People talk about humane slaughter. What do you think about that? I mean, animal always gets killed in the end. So it's like... <laughs> so let's go back to your childhood. You were born in Jamaica. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and you came here to the UK when you were around 10. Yeah. Um, what, do you have any memories of life in Jamaica when you were, when you were a child? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest connection to me to Jamaica has always been food and eating seasonally because like when you're in a tropical country, you have so many like so much produce just in your back gardens. I had so many different mango trees, I had like a coconut tree, mm. I had like a tamarind tree. Um, like, like other people would grow the things and like give it to you and you'd kind of just eat whatever, you know, is growing. Mm -hmm. So I think that connection with food to me has always been really like special and I've kind of never realised how different that experience would be moving here and having a mango hair and just being like, whoa, it's like completely different tasteless often very <laughs> <laughs> it's un it's unfortunate because you know like food and vegetables are such an important part of life to be healthy and vibrant and often like the way things are farmed especially sort of here in europe the fields and and you know everything on the fields are so stripped of nutrients because of the way you know essentially factory farming exists now um how important is this kind of culture to people, do you think, and growing your own and eating seasonally? And, you know, do you think it's something that we should be encouraging people to be more conscious of rather than buying strawberries all year round, that kind of thing? You know? Yeah, 100, because you're missing out on, like, yeah. the best produce. Like, I think it's really important. I think that culture is kind of coming back anyways because mm. I know a lot of, like, local communities um, have, like, allotments, like, shared allotments or... I haven't. I know, especially in Walthamstow, there's like this cafe called Hornbeam, mm -hmm. and they have like a um, 
their own little like farmer's market thing. You can buy a veg box of like all seasonal veg and there's more and more stuff like that anyways. Like, um, is it Abel and Co? Abel and Co, right. Abel and Co. And people say planting and growing your own vegetables is like printing your own money. (laughs) It's, it's rewarding. It's rewarding to like see a seed become something like, I mean, I have like in my garden, I've got like potatoes and like, loads of different herbs and like tomatoes and stuff and it's really nice to like go outside and pick it like it's really a lot more rewarding I think that concept has been lost based on I don't know people feel like it's more of a chore I guess but I think it's just important even just to go to a local market and buy from someone else that has grown grown it and to talk more about that produce and then maybe give you tips it's a lot better experience than like Tesco and I think it's going to be like the way forward anyways because of like plastic and so much stuff like that is mm. so unnecessary packaging on that's like a whole that's a whole conversation isn't it plastic and the, and the fact that we're dr- seem to be drowning in it literally yeah um so let's go back to Jamaica obviously it's the birthplace of the rest of our own religion and the ITAL kind of way of eating was there any influence in your life in in that respect because obviously the ITAL is very much a hip plant based obviously some Rastafarians have some dairy but yeah, yeah. but generally it's quite a vegan kind of culture yeah I think I think um I've kind of come across ITAL food like after like moving here really just because and going back to Jamaica because there's so much idle food there so I think being vegan there's not really difficult because there's always like kind of Rastafarian restaurant um but I grew up eating a very like meat-based like Jamaican diet so a lot of the food that I make is or with Dee's table is kind of me trying to have the food that I just can't really get anywhere else because there is idle food which is very like just plant-based, which I love, like all about like, a lot of the times people don't even like use salt. It's kind of like the concept of just having, you know, the freshest ingredients mm-hmm. and it's like really wonderful connection to, to that food. But I didn't grow up, grow up eating that, I just grew up eating like traditional Jamaican foods. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, when I started Dee's Table, when I, start, when I went vegan, basically I was kind of just like making all this food or trying to figure, it, figure out how to still have like, I don't know, like the jerk kind of flavouring or um, like all these like curries, all these like really like meaty based like dishes and still have them. Because these tables very much your side hustle, isn't it? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how it started and and what got you into it. Well, it started for me, basically, um, when I was making my last record, I kind of like, um, I wrote the record, so... I already was, I was basically just waiting to record it. And I had maybe like a space of like two or three months where I was like, what am I gonna do before I record this album? And I just decided to go for it and just like apply for like a job in a restaurant because I've never done it before and kind of like blagged my way into doing it. Just being like, yeah, so much experience. And just ended up working in like a few different places for a few months and really enjoyed it. and. After that, I kind of felt a sense of, like, um, just wanting to do it again or maybe just wanting to start something of my own a few years ago, but never really had the confidence to do it. And then I came up from Jamaica last year on holiday and just decided to, like, go for it. And I messaged, like, Sean from uh, Fat Gay Vegan and he had, like, the market. So I asked about if I could debut there. And he like let me do it, which was amazing. And it's just kind of taken on a life of its own. Like I would have never expected to like have like a residency this early in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's amazing. It's so amazing to see so many like Jamaicans as well come in that are like, oh, I've been really wanting this food and I've never, I don't know, haven't had the access to it mm-hmm. in London, like this Jamaican vegan food. And I think there's also just like a, there's so many more, options as well it's really amazing to see like like eat chai and stuff like that like vegan vietnamese and like um there's like a vegan thai place i'm trying to remember the name of it but what could there be no i think it's like greedy something so many now so many but it's it's (laughs) It's amazing to see like people just like 
creating their own spaces because there's a sense of like um especially with veganism what i'm finding is like obviously a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon like company wise like brand wise and there's like this inauthentic mm. feel to it mm. have you so, been to vegan nights yet yeah yeah mm. that's yeah. very commercial isn't it yeah but, but i think i think there's like a there's like a real sense of like that they're really a part of the community and they're really supportive of like a lot of like um, vegan traders and stuff like that. But I'm talking about more like in a mass scale, there's like this, I don't know, this sense that people are kind of taking it on as a fad sense. Mm. But then I think the actual vegan community is actually really progressive mm. mm-hmm. and like changing the restaurant world. There's mm. so many more places like, there's this pop-up called The Field mm-hmm. and they kind of do more like modern British vegan mm-hmm. food and I like taking it into like a gastronomical world and making something really special mm-hmm. that I think is kind of blowing a lot of people's minds because it's like all these rich flavours but like plant-based mm-hmm. that doesn't make you feel like mm-hmm. he- so mm-hmm. heavy. And speaking of restaurants and working with others, your Buster Mantis yeah. residency, tell us a bit about that and how that all happened and how that's going. Yeah, it's going amazingly. Like honestly, I kind of, was just meant to do like a, a few pop-ups, like one-off kind of vibe. Mm. And they went really well. So the owner kind of just wanted to do like a long run. For the listeners, um, what, what is Buster Mantis and where is it? So Buster Mantis is a bar in Deptford. Mm-hmm. And the it's owned by uh, this guy, Gordon, and his mum, Janet. And she's like an amazing Jamaican chef and kind of just wanted to be out of the kitchen, mm-hmm. having been in the industry for so long, mm-hmm. like doing her own thing. I think she owned like a few Jamaican restaurants in Deptford as well. Mm-hmm. And her son had always wanted to open a bar. So they did it together and she did the food. And I kind of just met Gordon and heard about this place and we've just like been in talks about it. And it's been amazing. Like they're, they're, they weren't vegan before, but the space and the connection I have with the both of them they're kind of so like into that world and um, really excited about um, creating this like authentic experience as well, and but also make creating like our own kind of path. And they're giving you lots of creative freedom. And yeah, it's really it's been so. I feel very lucky. I feel like because um, the space is so wonderful as well. They have like amazing like drinks already, and like also just. They do really cool events, and yeah, it's been it's becoming like a new home for me, for Dee's Table. Mm. And I can speak from personal experience how amazing Dee's Table is. Because oh. I've been. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you're in London and there's a Dee's Table on, yeah, must definitely go. And also if you're near Deptford, pop down. Yeah. Um, so let's change it up a bit and talk a little bit about the movement at large, and 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 what drives us all to kind of be push forward with what we're doing, whether it's our music, our food, um, our activism. Um, the movement at the moment, I feel, has got a bit of an identity crisis. It's very young. It's you know, as a movement, officially, it's only sort of some forty years old. Um, obviously, people have been fighting for the rights of animals for for centuries, but it's only begun to solidify and crystallise into something more organised. But um, there's there's tr- there's always struggle when it comes to growth. There's always pain, isn't there? Mm. Um, and there's a lot of issues with gender and um, ethnicity and race and culture. And there's lots of struggles in within the movement as well, like there is within any movement, with any kind of large grouping of people. Um, just talking on gender for a second, there's obviously most vegans are actually women, some eighty percent roughly, really? eighty to eighty nine percent. Yeah, women are, are, in my opinion, are more open generally more yeah, open yeah, to yeah. change because being a woman in this world is about you know light bringing life and 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 supporting life and nourishing generally women are the the nourishers they're the the people of our world who who bring that warmth yeah <laughs> um and the men are the hard nosed stony faced ones who are not that open to these kinds of changes but what's interesting in the vegan movement is that it seems to be dominated by men. You know, when you look at the kind of vegan scene, a lot of the men seem to be not running the show, but kind of, you know, getting the the attention. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think that is? I think it's just the nature of our society, yeah. basically, and and how it's kind of like, you know, that the the world is run by men. You know, yeah. and there's still so much like gender inequality with 
kind of pay and, and stuff like that. There's so many amazing, powerful women that mm. still, you know, there isn't that equality in that sense. So I feel like it's just the ethics of the world mm -hmm. is still, unfortunately, mm. the same. Mm -hmm. um, but I think... I but think how can we change it? So as men, as a man, mostly identify as man, mostly, um, <laughs> how, how, can, how can we support women to... In, in the movement, in, in, in their careers, in their, in their arts, in, in, what are, in their activism? I think it's more about um, just, because to me, especially in London, I, I know in the, the main London vegan scene more than anything, I can't really speak for like globally, but I know in London there's so many like um, businesses run by women, vegan businesses like Club Mexicana, for instance, who are like absolutely thriving and, and smashing it and like uh, Kind Co, like the vegan cheese brand. I think it's more just about supporting um, supporting uh, small businesses like that as well so that they can be a, um, a make a difference in that sense. Um, and even people like Moko from like Cable Street, like who does so much for the vegan community, I think, just from the events, the types of events that she does as well, like workshops and so I think it's more just like just supporting smaller businesses mm. basically mm -hmm. or just businesses that are run by like vegans themselves mm -hmm. as well I think that's yeah. the that's the difference I've worked with like so many people or just been like approached by so many people that or companies that aren't necessarily necessarily vegan that have no care in the world mm. about veganism mm -hmm. and they just like the word because they know yeah because it's like it's yeah. hip and it's cool and everyone's talking about it yeah, exactly. So I think it's also just about, um, yeah, just making sure what um, you put your money into, like these businesses, yeah. and then the representation of veganism will then be authentic, mm -hmm. you know, on a global scale. And obviously, with within the movement as well, there's there's often heavy criticism that it's a very kind of Caucasian-dominated movement of people. Um, there's various theories behind that. Some people have very strong theory. Some people believe it's just a numbers game and it's the way our culture is kind of formed. How do we, as a movement, make sure that we're inclusive of all people, of all nationalities and cultures? Um, because it's quite difficult sometimes when you look at media and you see a certain type of person, you don't see yourself in that space. Person. So yeah, it's hard yeah. for you to connect with that movement if all you're seeing is um, a person of a totally different ethnicity and culture at all times. I think because it's gone into more, I think a lot of people's introduction to veganism is unfortunately through the mass media who portray a certain type of veganism to people. But I think there's so many like, like people like Rachel Ammer, like Tish Wonders and in America, like Sweet Potato Soul. And like, there's like a few different people on YouTube and in that world that um, are representative of, of like different ethnicities. Mm. I think it's a shame as well, especially because so many um, different cultures and um, like, for instance, in like Bali and like Indonesia, like their understanding of like these superfoods that have kind of been, I don't know, not just taken out of context and made to, to seem like, I don't know. You mean superfoods that have been... Taken, used, by, the, yeah, taken but, by the West, turned into pills and things. Yeah, that have been used for centuries mm. in like these. Same thing with Jamaican food, mm. with idol food. There's mm. so many Jamaicans that have that same opinion mm. based on what they see the face of veganism is mm. in the media. Mm. When in reality, like the Rastafarian community have been eating mm -hmm. this way for like decades. Mm. So Yeah, because Donald Watson coined vegan in like the 40s, but idol started in like the 20s or something yeah. like that. So it's, you know... Lots of other people were thinking in this way long before. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, like places like in Peru that have been mm. eating stuff like with maca powder mm. and like all these superfoods that people have been having for like mm. centuries for like health mm. and have that understanding of getting like even like Chinese medicine in a sense where having that sense of like plants power, mm. it's power, like mm. it's health. You know, so I think it's like maybe reclaiming that in those spaces, mm. and I think it is about visibility as well, which mm. I think is also changing mm. because of the amount of you know different kinds of YouTubers that are kind of existing. And, but I think it is is also like about who's mm. controlling that mass media, right? Because because it's also um, controlled by racial bias and gender bias. Yeah, of course. People 
and it's often unconscious because of familiarity. And I think sometimes people just go with what they know. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. so important to question that. You know, I, I'm always, you know, I grew up in Africa and my whole world is completely different. My view of the world is completely different to someone who grew up in this country. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm always aware of the, 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 the variety and the diversity of people because it's something that fills me with joy. I love the rich, that's why I came to London, because I love the fact that there's every culture and every person you can think of, every type of food here, all living together in mostly harmony, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, a, and it's a beautiful pleasure, whereas there's some parts of the world where they prefer things to all look the same, all the people to be the same, everyone to eat the same, walk the same, dress the same, you know, and yeah. that's the kind of scary thing about kind of, you could say, like a nationalism or a kind of you know, that taps into things like racism and fear where people want everything to be the same because it all comes down to fear, doesn't it? Fear of what you don't understand. And it comes in, in nicely into my next question, which is about the veganism, our philosophy. You know, what do you think is the biggest barrier for people to adopt this lifestyle? I think the biggest barrier is just misconceptions, basically. A lot of people feel like they're going to... They, they don't understand how to approach it. Mm. It's the mi misconception of expense as well, of yeah. how, how ex like, you know, a lot of people think it's expensive in a sense, which it can be, just like anything can be expensive, like trainers can be expensive, mm. but p everyone, you know, finds a way to wear shoes. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I think it is like breaking down those barriers and just showing people that you can live on this lifestyle at different price points. You don't have to have all the superfoods mm -hmm. in the world mm -hmm. to be vegan, mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people think. Mm. Um, but yeah, and I think it's also just the concepts of privilege. Mm. I think a lot of people feel like it's like a privileged thing yeah. to, to make this lifestyle change. And I think in a sense... Um, I think it's just breaking down that barrier and also just our understanding of food, our connection with food is so warped by all the things that we've been missed, like information that we've been told about mm -hmm. our diets, about what we need to eat and, you know, the whole food pyramid, pyramid thing and a lot of people still think they need to get drink milk to have mm -hmm. calcium mm -hmm. or all this stuff, all these like myths that, you know, don't, aren't true. Mm kind of still that's still out there and being you know fed to people like you watch the tv and you just presented so we're, so we're with like <laughs> yeah. presented the, the with irony, all these adverts with like yeah yogurt. what to do and what to eat but the irony is and the interesting thing is there is a resistance to the lifestyle because people don't want to be told what to do because they feel um they don't want to be told by some person on a screen how to live their life but the irony is when you start eating um particularly a whole food plant-based diet you know mm -hmm. without all the processed food it's a very empowering thing because you're taking a decision for your own life, for your yeah. own health and your own body. And you're taking a responsibility for your place in the world by saying, when I choose to eat and consume products and buy things, I'm going to choose not to buy something that's damaging to the environment or that involves some kind of slavery or exploitation of a person or an animal or the environment yeah. as much or best of my ability. So that's the irony is when people first hear about it, they go, oh, don't force this veganism down my throat. But the whole idea about veganism is that it's 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 completely the other way around yeah because yeah. we 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 put ourselves on the same plane as everything we say all life is worthy of respect and all people and all animals is worthy of respect and we must protect it <laughs> but it's interesting and it's an and it's a complex and kind of multi-layered conversation i guess is how we help people over that fear because food is a big part as you know a big part of culture and relationships and family and love and friendship and we all sit down together and you know eat these yeah. meals together and it's and it's so hard for some people because they're absolutely terrified not so much about the food but losing out and missing out yeah. on those connections with mum with dad with grandma because they worry that if they're the person at the table who doesn't eat the meal grandma's going to be unhappy mum's yeah. going to be unhappy and for most people underneath all that fear is that Fear, feeling of hurting the people you love by essentially saying no to the food. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's a real tricky thing. But we soldier on. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's going to... I think once veganism is, is more in the kind of mass media, like mm. it's more adverts on, on TV, or you kind of have more informative programmes on like bigger 
like networks and mm. then I think we'll start to see more change as well as just like people living by example like yeah. some like Beyonce I, I mean she went vegan for I don't think she's like vegan now but she went for like three months mm -hmm. but people like this or like athletes that continue to talk about the diet and normalize it and normal mm -hmm. yeah exactly mm -hmm. absolutely so um let's talk about music yeah <laughs> so one of your other hats slash tool belt not tool belts what's the expression tools on your belt <laughs> skills bows and your arrow um is is your music in, in your singing and your performance tell us a little bit about how this kind of featured in your life and where it all began oh man i was definitely a very overactive like child mm -hmm. and i've always kind of if I wanted to do something, I'd do it. And for me, music became that once I like, my once I started playing around with different instruments and just felt really good doing it. And and it's just this expression that I think is really self healing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think I'm really lucky to be signed to a label that allows me to like kind of be able to be myself mm -hmm. in my music as mm -hmm. well which is the most important thing to me when making anything. It's kind of like, what do I want to say? How do I want to represent myself? And same thing with um, the live show. I think I'm always growing and that's, that's what's amazing about music. It's like there's always another, there's always another step forward mm -hmm. and it always feels new, um, which is crazy because the other day I played in Hamburg and I hadn't played since like March and I was so nervous. And I've played so many different types of shows before, but it's so amazing and humbling to still be as nervous about mm. anything. Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing will never change because there's always so much more music that you that it will make mm. in my future life as well. There's so, I can't remember who said it, but someone said, if it doesn't scare you, it's not worth doing. <laughs> because I think when you don't have that fear and you don't have that kind of anxiety, I think it, it can lead to kind of a certain arrogance about a performance, can't it? Because you kind of feel like you've done enough. But I think as an artist or as a creative person, if there's always that nerves, I think it can empower you to always push that a little bit further and a little yeah. bit further in your music and your art, your painting, whatever it is that you do. Because I think it does keep that kind of... You see yourself in, a, in a, the way the audience sees you rather than seeing yourself through your own eyes, you know what I mean? I think like when you when you exist in that presence, it allows you to, I think, be more authentic. If that makes yeah, sense. hundred. And yeah. I think music for me, there's like, like you said, there's no point in making it if, mm. if, if it's not making you into a better version of yourself, you know? Mm. Like I think making any record, it is like, it is about kind of me just pushing myself as far as I can in that moment of my life mm -hmm. and just representing myself in that moment of my life. And so it's authentic to me because, you know, in several years' time, I'll look back on these records and it'll represent that chapter, you know. Um, so that's always the indication for me. If I wasn't nervous making anything, mm. I would be very <laughs> terrified. <laughs> and your music and lyrics, um, I've listened to a lot of your music and it's beautiful. I absolutely love it. And, yeah, it, and it's so full of expression and experience. But what, you know, does your life and your experiences inform all the words and everything that you do? Yeah, yeah, I think it has to. I think it has to because, you know, I'm the only person that knows how I feel mm. about everything, you know? So I think it is quite like an onslaught making a record because you're like constantly involved with your headspace, whether it's in a, whether it's a, a really upsetting song, maybe you have an, a, an, a, you know, a sad experience and you write about it or a happy experience, you're like constantly involved in mm. like, so many different parts of yourself mm -hmm. um so yeah it's really important to me to like because you know i think music is like just like any art form filmmaking or um painting or just doing anything it's kind of just like it's for me first mm. before it is for mm -hmm. anyone else and and um with the kind of music and art scene, there's obviously a lot of expectation on people to be and look and sound a specific way. Yeah. You mentioned your, your label allows you to kind of be yourself. Um, I mean, what's your thoughts on the way the music industry takes particularly young women and, you know, moulds them into a particular, often a very overly sexualised image and then puts them out for the world to kind of consume? Yeah. 
I mean, it's really hard, heartbreaking, I think, because, yeah, so many, these stories, like, happen again and again, and mm. so many people that, who are, like, not necessarily naive, naive's mm. not the right word, but just manipulated mm. and just assigned by these A&Rs that have no interest in them, and mm. it's kind of always, like, a money game mm. and chasing something based on what someone else might be doing in the charts. Mm. Um... But I think it's just important. It's always important to me, first of all, to like make the record I want to mm -hmm. to make. Because otherwise, what's the point? Like, you know, what's the point of doing anything? Um, so I think in this industry, I've definitely learned a lot. Like, you 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 learn a lot about yourself, about what you will kind of take on, mm -hmm. and just just how to like back up yourself. Mm. You know. Because I would assume you have to learn to be able to arm yourself with some kind of shield because there's yeah. a lot of people out there willing to say a lot of bullshit to try and get you to do X, Y, and Z, you know. Um, how do you, have you come up against stuff like that where you've been in with situations where you've been offered things and you've felt a little bit pressured to do something you didn't want to do? I wouldn't say pressured, um, but I think it's just about, like, how you, it's just, it's just about what, how you feel mm. basically and for me like every decision I've made is kind of based on based on that mm -hmm. and even with music videos just anything in that sense it's always kind of not forced like mm. wear this wear that mm -hmm. like it's always about how I see myself you know mm -hmm. and how I want to be seen do you think you have to be quite strong to do this particularly as a woman because I think in our yeah. society men are very much the ones who always tell everyone what to do and the women have sort of stepped back for fear of being assertive because I think in, in our society we're just yeah, our society generally women are kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for kind of discouraged from being assertive and being strong yeah um, but I think I think I've had quite a unique ex experience in this industry because the my my first A&R was like a woman she's mm. like an incredible woman mm. and what's an A&R? Um, an A&R is just artist and repertoire so they're right. almost like the person that nurtures you, they sign mm -hmm. you, they, they're Your the guide. one that's, yeah, they're mm -hmm. the one that see, sees something in you and wants you, helps you to become like an artist. Mm -hmm. um, and she signed me when I was 17. Mm -hmm. And I've been very, very lucky, especially because this world is so male dominated, mm -hmm. to have these strong female figures mm -hmm. in my music mm -hmm. kind of career, kind of just prote protected me, but also just giving me a voice and allowing me to. To, to now, like, three albums in, like, have, have an understanding of what it is to be an artist and, and how to defend myself mm -hmm. and how to back up myself, mm -hmm. you know? Now that's inner strength. Speaking of moving back to your music specifically, have you got a particular track that's your absolute favourite? Uh -huh. That's a tricky one. I think... Um, that's a tricky one. I think um, from my last show, I'd say I really enjoyed playing the song called Does It Get Easier. I think I wrote at a point in my life when everything was going wrong and kind of just, I don't know, digging into myself, but then having this moment where I'm like, you know, there's so many things where it's kind of things out of my control and you mm -hmm. kind of just have to let life humble you and teach you and time help you grow. And I think it's a really important song for me and just for a lot of people as well. A lot of people have said that, um, kind of saw themselves themselves in it as well. Mm -hmm. Are you working you mentioned you're working on a new album? Yeah, a new yeah, record. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's amazing. Like I, I've start I started writing it um early last year and it's kind of just becoming something so real to me now and um I'm really excited about it. I'm working with uh this band called Everything Everything mm -hmm. and yeah it's kind of it feels so fresh and exciting um what are some of the themes that you discuss in that God. album it is a bit like some of the songs are quite political mm -hmm. great um <laughs> yeah. 
I think, but it is quite, it's, I think a lot of the songs are just brutally honest. Political and in what sense? What, you, what you're addressing? Just talking about how I exist. Mm -hmm. like, I think last year I was kind of going through this headspace where I was finding it really difficult to, I don't know, consume things, just the way we consume mm. information, mm -hmm. just Mind, our, mindless consumption. Yeah, mm -hmm. our interaction with like the media, like social media, and just having an issue striking a balance, but also feeling really out of control in, in how I can step away from it because I can't because it's so much a part of my job. Mm -hmm. And just dealing with, I don't know, a lot of things in the world that I feel kind of like, is my, is my like input, is, is it significant? Mm. Is it? Finding just your kind place. Of dealing, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, I think I'm, re I'm really excited by this record, like more than any one that I've made before. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited. Like I'm literally dying is to there a name put something you? out. Well, I do have a name, but I don't want to say it okay. yet. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And, and obviously, you know, being a singer, um, you perform live. And tell us about what that feels like when you're in front of an audience. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I think I've definitely grown into my live show um, over the past, like, five years. Mm -hmm. Like, I used to just play acoustic guitar and, and sing, and now I literally play absolutely everything. There's, like, this recurring joke in my band where I go away and write, and then there's, like, a new instrument in the front of the stage. <laughs> Um, but I think the live show, it's the same thing with the studio for me. It's a way to push myself mm -hmm. to like do something new right. and that's pushing me and con like, so I'm constantly reinventing myself in, in the live show based on, you know, all the things that I want to do mm -hmm. that maybe I can't necessarily do just yet. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really exciting to, to bring something special, mm -hmm. you know, to the live show. And your music, is it inspired by anyone or anything particular? Are there, are there any things that come to mind that you uh, kind of flow through, you could say anyone you're channeling or anyone that you kind of look up to? I think for me, it's like inspiration is always like, is, is always, always happens when it does, you know, mm. if that makes, <laughs> mm. makes sense. It can, can't be forced. Mm. And I think there's a, f a few of these songs on the record just write themselves, mm. you know. I'll feel something and then a melody would come and then the lyric would just happen out of nowhere. Um, so I think it is just moments of inspiration, like making a record really. Um, yeah. And any artists that you are listening to at the moment that you love? Hmm. I'm actually like really in love with Ariana Grande's new album. Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing. Like, um, she she had a quite a controversial track, didn't she? Was it Ariana Grande? Am I thinking of someone else? Oh, I don't know. She was said something about singing about God. Is Ariana Grande? God is a woman. That's it. Is oh, it Ariana Grande? Yeah. Yeah. Was there controversy? Yes. Yeah. In middle America, as you can imagine, oh, it was yeah. um, you know very controversial line to put in a piece of music that God is a woman because obviously in this patriarchal society, God is obviously a man. Yeah. <laughs> Which. God, you know, God is not man or woman, you know, really, when you think about the idea of a deity, I mean, the, the whole concept of a deity being a male or female is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, really. yeah. Um, but it's a fair play to her to be able to kind of express herself in that way, being from that culture, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think, I don't know, I don't know about that, but then also not surprised. <laughs> um, yeah. But the wreck is just amazing, it's yeah. just really good, like, yeah. Like, I'm a massive fan of Pharrell as well. Mm. I think he's such an amazing producer. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just really refreshing. Mm. Really yeah, good. and uplifting as well. As a child, um, growing up, was, was spirituality and religion, did that play any role in your life at all? Massively. Like, Jamaica as a country is massively, like, Christian. Like, you go on a bus and someone is doing a prayer about the journey. Um, and it's just really interesting because I definitely grew up in like a, in in a more of a Catholic household, like my mum has always like grown up in churches and kind of I don't know as I got older, kind of stepped away from that world a bit, mm. especially because so much of Jamaican culture is also just like homophobic in mm. a sense. Even mm. though that's changing, based on just how the kind of younger generation are like so much different, just mm -hmm. view wise. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many parts of it culturally that. I kind of don't connect myself with. 
um, especially as someone that is kind of so much a part of the like um, queer community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like sad mm. to see mm-hmm. the reaction to to that in this day and age. Like mm-hmm. some, I mean, I think I'm quite sheltered in London and every everyone a bubble. <laughs> yeah, in that kind of bubble, mm. and then you hear stuff like mm. that. Just even small, even with like. Um, even with like sexism in like different countries mm. where women have only just like mm. started driving mm-hmm. and stuff like this in like some country mm. and you're just like what that's crazy yeah the whole discussion around kind of you know LGBT um, rights and and trans spectrum and stuff is so fascinating I've really involved myself in it over the last few years because you know I um, grew up you know mostly identifying as a man but as the years have kind of rolled on and I've learned more about gender and what that means I've began to question my gender and, and wondered what that means but in that journey it's quite an interesting and mind expanding experience because yeah. I think it's such an important thing for people to connect with that kind of aspect of ourselves and to me that's a spiritual journey to kind of really understand who you are as a person your place as a man or a woman or somewhere in between and that that's okay and to yeah. celebrate that you know, our society wants to put us in boxes. You're a man, you're a woman, you're black, you're white, you're this, you're that. Yeah, and yeah. forces us to behave in certain ways based on the box that we're put in and says, stay in the box, yeah, don't yeah. leave the box. Because if you leave the box, I don't understand who you are. Which is the scary thing about our society because the beauty about the human experience is that we're this rich and incredible rainbow of people. Yeah. Hence the, the LGBT flag is that it's all about being diverse and and in that diverse is that beauty and to me you know that's an important and really essential part of who we are as people and it needs to be encouraged and nourished especially to do with compassion Mm. um, because this is how we connect with each other with the animals with the earth because we feel something we feel a sense of obligation or or love Mm. for others we should love each other rather than hate each other because love is a more nourishing and nurturing emotion isn't it but with humans, do you think we have to have a religion or spirituality to be like this, to be compassionate, to be kind? No, because it's like human nature. Mm. It's like natural like human nature. And I think a lot of the times these, uh, so many people bound to religion to the point where it's like going beyond just like the human instincts. Mm. I just feel like just the concept of having this emotion to kill someone or like to really hurt someone or to be prejudiced or homophobic or whatever it is, is just not human. It's not natural. It's kind of this taught like behavior based around culture as well. A lot of people be like, oh, but I'm racist because my culture has taught me that that's what I should be. Or, you know, it's like, that's nonsense. You know, it goes against your human nature. Like, it's so it's so strange how we like behave, but um, I think I don't know. I think we need to break down those parts of our culture because I'm still like culturally Jamaican. I'd say mm. like I'm, I, there's so many parts of it where um, that I still attach myself to, mm-hmm. but stuff like the homophobic part mm. of it, I'm like mm-hmm. we we have to be able to look at it beyond that and mm-hmm. not. Like, it doesn't make me un-Jamaican if mm. I don't believe in this part mm. of it, you know? Mm. And just be more connected to a, what we humanly would mm. do. And I feel like to love something and to love someone and to have empathy, mm. it's like kind of just being lost, just mm. to, be, to have empathy for, like, anyone mm. um, based on these culture, cultural differences and, like, religion. Mm. And, it's, and it's, I believe, and I think you might, you might agree, that it's an innate part of who we are. It's built yeah. into our DNA. And that um, it's a bit like a seed. If it's not watered and nourished, it never flowers. Yeah. Um, and most people, most humans, unless you're a psychopath, which is like 1% of the population, where you probably don't feel anything for anyone, uh, at least alone yourself, um, you know, 99.9% of humans are like this. And we are at in, it's in our very nature. You know, if you see um, uh, um, a motorway and there's mm. some baby ducks or, or chickens crossing the road, people will stop and rescue the animals they're not going to mow them down and go oh lunch you know (laughs) people will protect them 
And, yeah. you know, this is in our very nature. And our society has built up around us this fear of anything that's different. So we kind of like go against our odds or not understanding something. So we fear it, you know. Yeah. And I think it's such an important thing for us to foster in our own lives and also in our children is this this way of seeing the world with a sense of curiosity and intrigue rather than a sense of like trepidation and fear that just because something's different that you should fear it but if something's different you should celebrate it yeah you know um but coming to the end now because we're, we're almost out of time i always like to ask people um about there's this joke about being a vegan and if you're on a desert island right oh, God. And, and you know if you're on this desert island if i if i gave you an opportunity to have a book an album and a, and a one meal what would you take with you oh wow um <laughs> on this vegan desert island <laughs> ah, that's quite a tricky one um a book i'd have a notebook mm-hmm. um because i think I don't know, I feel like in my head you'd probably be, I'd, I don't know, I'd like to draw mm-hmm. or like, I think having like a book from someone else would be a bit much. Mm-hmm. Um, album wise, God, um, I'd say, it's <laughs> really tricky. Mm-hmm. Album wise, I think I'd say like Beyonce, like mm-hmm. Lemonade mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, just because she, I don't know, that record makes me really happy, mm. so. And then what's the last one? Meal. What would, what, what's the one dish you'd be able to take with you that you could eat for the rest of your days on the island? Oh, that's tricky. I would say, <laughs> in my head, I'm, I'm, in my head, I'm thinking pasta, <laughs> but I feel like mangoes. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'll never get bored of a good mango. Mm. Like if there's a mango tree or like something that I can plant, mm. I feel like mango I can eat the rest of my life. Good choice. Yeah. Mr. Namoy, thank you so much for joining thank us you. on the PBM thank podcast. You. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm your host, Robbie Lockie, and we'll be back next week with more veganism, life, lifestyle, fashion, tech, and everything in between. Who can turn things right? Life is too-